Bienvenidos and welcome to the Voces Podcast. My name is Ana Lucia Lopez Reboredo, and I am your host. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Nell Kanoe Vogel. A native of the North Shore of Oahu, Hawaii, Sarah is a dynamic, trauma informed educator who is focused on creating a world where women understand their potential, value, power, and worth. Sarah has worked as a higher education administrator and educator for over a decade and has built communities focused on student leadership development. Passionate about access, Sarah is now democratizing her education and research by bringing her teaching outside of the university walls and into the world via Lady Bits and Leadership, a professional coaching platform that explores the intersections of gender and leadership. As the founder and CEO of Lady Bits and Leadership, Sarah helps women believe in their magic, build their resilience, and gain power and confidence in their lives. A proud woman of many cultures, Sarah calls on her Hawaiian, Chinese, Puerto Rican, Portuguese, and Jewish heritages to lead her in her work. Welcome, Sarah. It's so great to have you as the first guest of the third season of the Voces podcast. As we get this podcast started, I'd love to hand it over to you uh, so that you could give us a little bit more of an insider look into who you are and where it is that you're coming from. Oh, well, thank you so much again for having me. I'm so excited to be on Voces with you all. Um, Aloha, everybody. My name is Dr. Sarah Vogel. I grew up on the North Shore of Oahu. So that is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, the furthest away from any other island uh, continent that you could basically get in the entire world. And growing up on the island of Oahu has been absolutely Mm, critical to the way that I see the world. And I'll explain that a bit. So my father is a white Jewish American man who moved from California to Hawaii to surf. That was his passion. That was what he, you know, at least for a long time in his life, that's what he was inspired to do. That's what he was meant to do. My mother is a Puerto Rican, Portuguese, Chinese, English, native Hawaiian woman, which that's very standard for the Hawaiian story, who um, has generations upon generations, both in Hawaii as well as across the world. She has great grandparents from China, from um, Portugal, as well as from Puerto Rico. And anyone who's been to Hawaii knows that through the pineapple industry, through the sugarcane industry, we had people moving from across the world coming onto these small islands to help grow and cultivate the economy. And so although we still have pineapples, not so much sugarcane anymore, we have been left with this diverse beautiful multicultural history and current reality. And so many of the people that you meet from the Hawaiian islands may identify as native Hawaiian, but also have influences, cultural influences from across the world. Thank you, Sarah. And I love that you brought in that important history regarding Puerto Rico. I'm going to add a little bit more context for those who might be hearing about this for the first time. In the 19th century, Puerto Rico depended mainly on its agricultural economy. The island, along with Cuba, was the Spanish crown's leading exporter of sugar, coffee, tobacco, and cotton. When the island was ceded by the United States after the Spanish-American War, 
most of its industries were taken over by American industrialists. So a year later, in 1899, two hurricanes completely devastated Puerto Rico's sugar industry, causing a worldwide shortage in sugar and a huge demand for the product from Hawaii. So as this was happening, Hawaiian sugarcane plantation owners began to recruit people who had experience with sugarcane. And that really, at that moment in time, was Puerto Ricans. So on November 22nd, 1900, the first group of Puerto Ricans, consisting of 56 men, began their journey to Maui, Hawaii. Currently, there are about 30,000 Puerto Ricans or Hawaiian Puerto Ricans living in Hawaii. So your mother truly represents the story and spirit of Hawaii, right? And so I'm curious to talk a little bit about your own identity development. As I read and as I introduced you in in your bio, you're a woman informed by many heritages. So what was your process in discovering and proudly owning your multiculturalism? I had the privilege to go to the Social Justice Training Institute, SJTI, and they the whole week was focused on understanding race. And at the beginning of the week, they said, "Okay, we're going to get into race-alike groups to have this converse, have these conversations." And so they said, "And go." And gave zero direction. They just said race-alike groups, and I'm like, "Race-alike groups? Well, do I am I white?" Am I Hawaiian? Am I Asian? Am I Pacific Islander? Am I Latina? What if I'm a little bit of all of it? Where do I go? So as I watch like different people who phenotypically like presented as white or black or Latina or Asian move into their group so easily, I just kind of stood there and was like, who am I? And then what I found was that there was other multiracial people standing in the middle of the room with me like are we a group and so eventually we grouped off into this small tiny group whereas the other groups were like big 20 30 people we were like 10 of us and what was so wild is that all throughout our group we had different looking folks and we thought okay this is our hui or our group of people and what we unpacked that day was that oftentimes as multiracial people were taught to say, well, I'm half Jewish. You know, in my case, I'm half Jewish. I'm a quarter Hawaiian. I'm a quarter uh, Latina. I'm a quarter Asian. And that, and my math is awful. So <laughs> percentages might not add up, but that creates a whole. And I think what I took away from that and what our multiracial kind of group leader talked about is that you're 100% Jewish, you're 100% Latina, you're 100% Hawaiian, you're 100% Asian. That was so transformational to me as someone who has always identified as like, I'm never enough or I'm like quarters and halves and eights and I've broken myself up like a little pie. It was so freeing to hear you're 100% of everything. And that is what really kind of sprung me into, okay, so what does it mean to be all of these different identities? And that exploration continues today. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. That exploration continues today. And indeed, our identities don't develop overnight. There are days in which one element of our identity may feel more salient, but that doesn't mean that the other parts that make us who we are will become more pronounced at other junctures or points in our life. And I hope that everyone that was part of your group uh, is still impacted by the powerful words that clearly your, your facilitator had, right, regarding your ability to be all of something 
and not necessarily have to split yourself up into some form of fraction, right? Some form of pie. So prior to your time at the Social Justice Institute, what had your experience been like thinking about your identity? Do you remember what your process was when you were growing up? Did you talk about it with other people? I'm so curious to hear what your experience was. We always called ourselves Jewian. <laughs> it was a mixture of Jewish and Hawaiian. And that was just how my family identified. It was an it was to honor that my father's family lineage, you know, comes from an Ashkenazi Jew lineage through New York City, all the way to the West Coast, and then eventually to Hawaii. And the Hawaiian part, obviously, is the Hawaiian to honor my mother. And so I didn't explore that as a child. It just was what it was. I was just Hawaiian. And it wasn't until I got older and started to hear messages of, you know, like, I remember in high school, I was called a haole, which is like a white person. And you can say like someone's haole and it's just they're white. Or you can be like, you're a fucking haole. And it's like, you're a white foreigner who doesn't belong here. There's a different tone that's used, right? Same word, but the tone you use implies what it means. When I started looking at my friend group, it was actually very diverse, you know, but we never had the opportunity to really learn about what it meant to be Hawaiian. And on the opposite end with my, with my father's side of the family, we really didn't, we really didn't explore what it meant to be Jewish either. My father never went through any of the coming of age practices like a bar mitzvah. He never really talked about his um, Jewish lineage and heritage. And so that was something that was left up to us to discuss, to figure out on our own. Now, growing up in Hawaii in the United States, oftentimes, you know, the, I guess the Christian holidays are more emphasized rather than Jewish holidays. And so those were the holidays that, you know, you see in stores. And really my father, although he's Jewish, spent a lot more time talking to us about the spirituality of nature and about when we went surfing together, you know, to honor the ocean and to honor the waves and how lucky we are to be on this beautiful earth. So he talked about his own spirituality in a different way as well. You talk about this with so much love. I think it's clear to everyone listening. And this is also making me think about aloha. I know that word beyond its use of hello and goodbye is a state of mind. And you've shared this with me. And I'd love for you to share it with the listeners what aloha means to you and how it plays a role in your life. Growing up, we always talked about living with aloha. And aloha is like an all-encompassing. When I think of the word aloha, it's it's an all-encompassing love. And when we talk about Hawaiian culture, you often hear the words aloha aina together, which is to love the land. And so the creation stories of indigenous Hawaiian people often, just like many other indigenous cultures, often relate to the concepts of earth, uh, lava or fire, you know, uh, both destruction and creation of the plant life, of the animal life, of the winds, of the rain, of the ocean, of the mountains. I mean, it, there's so much reverence for mother earth because before we industrialize the entire world, that is where we got, that is 
where we got life from was from the water, was from the fish that were in the ocean, was from the plant life that fed us. And so, of course, we honored her. And of course, she was a woman because she provided. I mean, we all come from women and women oftentimes are providing literal nutrients from their own body. Such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing. I think having those cultural norms embedded in me, both aloha to love and then aloha aina to love the land has informed everything that I've done, whether consciously or subconsciously. I live on an island with an active volcano. There's a lot of reverence towards Pele, the goddess who created all the Hawaiian islands. And our cultures are often informed by the larger systems at play. Um, So I have to imagine there is that similarity as well in the Jewish culture and with Shalom. Yes. And of course, this is now making me think about Shaloha the beautiful blend of shalom and aloha. It's more than just hello and goodbye. It's a philosophy of life. Before we end this conversation, I'd love to have you share with us a visual of Hawaii. I know you were recently asked to think about a place that impacted your life. And I'd love for everyone to hear how that prompt has made you appreciate growing up where you did. Situating yourself in a place is also a very Hawaiian value, very culturally Hawaiian value. And so I was asked, you know, to name a place that has informed you as a person. And my immediate thought was a beach called Chun's Reef. I grew up right across the street from there. And the reason that I thought of it, the reason I thought about it was because I spent days, years, almost every day we were at that beach. And some of my best memories were there. I can still feel the warm sand. I can smell the limu or the seaweed on the rocks and the salt in the air when the waves got really big. I can feel the cold water on my arms as I paddled out with my dad. Like he was so much faster than me, you know, paddling a surfboard out. And me and my brothers would go out there with him in the early morning when it was just like glass, like the ocean looked like, like a lake. Um, And we would catch these waves. And as we're riding along the waves, we're seeing the fish, we're seeing the reef below. And what that place did for me was instill joy, was instill the concepts of play and how important it is to enjoy your life. I think as we get got older, as I got older, you know, the forces of what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do in your job? What do you want to do for work? Those, you know, capitalism in general just kind of like pounded into me. Like your worth is your job. Your worth is your work. Your worth is what you produce in life. And now that I've kind of, I've seen that road and where it takes people, which is often to like sadness or feeling a bit lost or disconnected from their bodies or from their souls, really, I find myself returning back to nature to find that sense of wonderment and joy and awe and beauty. Because at the end of the day, that is what fills my soul. Wow. That truly sounds incredible. And I'm so happy that you were able to have that experience. And it just a reminder for all of us, how important it is to put life into perspective, right? Outside of all of these achievements and things that we should be doing, Like, what is the thing that's in front of us that's making us happy? So thank you. Mahalo. Gracias. 
I couldn't have asked for a better person to kick off season three of the Voices podcast with. You are an incredible woman and leader, and I'm so grateful to have you as part of the Familia Jutina, especially because you're living in Hawaii. So I think a a Jutina retreat is bound to happen there sometime soon. (laughs) So thank you, Sarah. It's been such a joy as always. And we're here to cheer you on and to continue to watch you shine. Thank you so much for inviting me onto um, onto your show. Thank you, Sarah. Your story is a reminder that no two Latin Jewish stories are alike, which is why it's important that we continue to lift up as many Latin Jewish stories as possible. To all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. We are thrilled for season three and look forward to bringing you five new episodes that are sure to expand your thinking and understanding of the Latin Jewish community. Until next time, ciao!